We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 108 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show today as we try to answer the question, who is the most underrated Gamecock of all time? I play your voicemails, read off your tweets, your responses, and give my answer who I think the most underrated Gamecock of all time is. Also have a bunch of recruiting tidbits to get to, both involving football and baseball, uh, your listener questions, and a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks running back in 2001 Outback Bowl MVP Ryan Brewer as we discuss why he chose South Carolina, his South Carolina career, beating his hometown team Ohio State in back-to-back Outback Bowls, and much, much more. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast written to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one that I would recommend. They've got tickets to literally everything you can think of. They make the ticket-buying process super, super simple. They've actually got a ticket rating system where they rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you know, before you click that buy button, you know exactly what you're going to get. Are you overpaying for the tickets? Are you getting a steal? Are you getting a really good deal? You're going to know that with SeatGeek. We've actually got a promo code. Go download SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10 off your first purchase. Like I mentioned earlier, they got tickets to literally everything. It doesn't have to be sports. It can be South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, you know, MLB, NHL, NBA. Um, but they've also got concerts, comedy club events, festivals. So during the summer months when you're going to different things, you need your tickets, be sure to go through our friends at SeatGeek. Like I said, either go to SeatGeek.com or download the SeatGeek app. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, is always coming to you guys once again. Very, very excited to come and answer another question, sort of continuing what we did last week when we talked about who the greatest Gamecock of all time was. This week we're going to discuss who is the most underrated Gamecock of all time. Before I get into that, some housekeeping items I want to talk to you guys about really quickly. Um, for those that don't know, our podcast, The Spurs Up Show, can be found all over the internet, obviously on our website, thespursupshow.com, but as well as iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Buzzsprout, you name it. Anywhere and everywhere you listen to podcasts can be found. If you guys could do me a favor, if you're listening to this podcast right now, and you, if you haven't done so, click the pause button, go over to iTunes, go to Spotify, wherever you listen to the Spurs Up show, 
leave us a five-star review. Leave us your feedback. It helps other people find the show. It looks really good on us, honestly, when we get reviews. And I would appreciate all the fans and supporters of this show if you could. Go leave a five-star review. Again, it helps others that may not know about the Spurs Up show. Find us whenever they're searching for Gamecocks podcasts across the internet through the different channels, if you will. So, again, if you're listening right now, click the pause button. Go leave a five-star review. I would really appreciate it. And definitely leave your, leave your feedback as well. If you think there's something I can improve on, we can improve on, please let me know. Love to hear the feedback and love to hear from the listeners as well. Um, one other thing as well, I am looking for a videographer. I have a videographer internship available posted across all social media, um, all of our social media channels. If you follow us, which you probably do, um, you know that is something you probably saw the post, know that's something that's available. If you know anyone that is interested um, in a videographer type internship, it's most likely going to be someone who is a student at USC or just recently uh, graduated from USC because they must be located in the Columbia, South Carolina area. But either way, if you know anyone, if you're, if you're interested, if you know anyone who may be interested, please have them send their portfolio and a resume to the Spurs Up Show at gmail.com. Again, that's the Spurs Up Show at gmail.com. Please have them send that over again. Going to be doing a lot of really, really cool video content this fall, football season coming up. Um, and really looking to outsource, bring someone in that is an expert, if you will, to make sure that content is, is the best it can possibly be. So if you do know anyone, if you know, if you're interested, if you know someone interested, again, it's the Spurs Up Show at gmail.com. Please send over your portfolio of work and also your resume as well. We'd love to get those conversations going over this summer so that by the time really August 1st hits or the middle of August hits, have someone locked in that position that's, again, going to help out the Spurs Up show and help myself bringing you guys some of the best, I think, the best video content that South Carolina Gamecocks page will have to offer without a doubt. All right, so anyways, let's get into the question. Let's get into the show. Answer the question, who is the most underrated Gamecock of all time? Again, this is a really fun series we're doing. You know, last week we talked about who the greatest Gamecock of all time was. We, uh, you know, I gave my answer, but, I, you know, also played you guys' voicemails, read your responses. A lot of good voicemails, responses to tweets. Um, on Facebook, Instagram, literally everywhere. I really do appreciate everybody that called in, that left the responses. Really do, really do appreciate it. It makes this very, very fun to do. So I'm going to go ahead and do the same thing like I did last week. Go ahead and start with the voicemails. Um, again, talking about simply who is the most underrated Gamecock of all time. Let's go ahead and get into those. Yeah, this is Josh Blanchett. Um, I wanted to respond to the question about who the most underrated Gamecock is of all time. And I think when you're asking that question, you got to go with Dylan Thompson. I mean, uh, those those two years when he's backing up Connor Shaw, and even when he started, I mean, he didn't look like much against Missouri, uh, speaking about 2013. But there was a lot of, like, flash there, especially when he come in in uh, Death Valley and beat Clemson in 2012. And he was expected to have a, a big year when he actually became the starter. But, I mean – Give him a better team in 2014, and I'm, I'm fairly certain he would have went to the SEC championship game just because of how great he was as a quarterback. I mean, if you give him the weapons he had in 2013 or 2012, give him the Alshon or Ace Sanders or Bruce, I'm fairly certain quarterback by Bruce Ellington, the Gamecocks would have made it to the SEC championship game. I mean, he didn't have the the agility of Connor Shaw or the speed or the – playmaking ability like Connor had but I mean he had an arm and he was smart he was a typical Spurrier quarterback and I just think it's hard to overlook something like that and uh, go Cox 
All right, Josh, appreciate the voicemail, my man. Very, you know, I, I like the response. Again, Dylan Thompson was definitely a name that came up as far as someone, the most underrated Gamecock of all time. Um, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy when you look back to those Spurrier teams and you think how much quality depth South Carolina had across the board. You know, not just Dylan Thompson. When you think of the 2012 Clemson game, South Carolina, you know, everyone made the joke, but it was true. The Gamecocks beat Clemson with their backup quarterback and backup running back in that game. Remember, it was Dylan Thompson and Kenny Miles at running back. Um, yeah, I, I would agree that Dylan Thompson is definitely one of the most underrated. Uh, and, and I do agree with you that in 2014, if he did have a, you know, a defense that, let's just face it, had a, a half a pulse, if you will, that team's probably winning double-digit games. I, I mean, I, I would not have been shocked at all. I mean, that's – you know, I, I would argue that 2014 team was probably the best offense – Arguably the best offense South Carolina fielded under Steve Spurrier. I mean, scoring 30-plus points every single week. Dylan Thompson throwing it all over the yard. I mean, he was a very good quarterback. And to think he was behind Connor Shaw and probably would have started anywhere else. I mean, again, you talk about the quality depth that South Carolina had under, uh, under Steve Spurrier. It's insane. It really is. And so, Dylan Thompson, very, very popular answer. I think a good answer as well. Appreciate the call, Josh. All right, let's get to our other voicemail here. Yeah, the most underrated player, in my opinion, uh, in Gamecock history is Bill Petty. Uh, for him to go through uh, two coaching changes and to endure uh, two seasons where they only won one game and, and to bring Carolina back to back-to-back outback bowl wins. I think he had two wins over Clemson in his career, had two wins against uh, Georgia in his career, one of them being a uh, last-minute drive in, in Athens to win. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they beat a highly-ranked Quincy Carter team in Columbia to uh, break their losing streak. So, to me, Phil Petty is a good example of a player that's very underrated, particularly in his position. Everybody likes to talk about, you know, Connor Shaw and Garcia and Todd Ellis of the days, but uh, I think a lot of people overlook what Phil Petty had to endure during his career. So, that would be my uh, my comment on that. Thank you. Appreciate the voicemail. Again, guys, when you call in, just uh, leave your name so I can give you a shout-out on here because uh, the voicemail was awesome, but I have no clue who left it. But uh, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I love that answer. I love the answer of Phil Petty. I do agree with you. I don't think Phil Petty gets enough credit. Obviously, you talked about, you know, Phil, a friend of the show, someone you guys know we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago. You know, everything he went through at the beginning of his career, really a guy that, you know, suffered through the 1999 season, got beat up, and then led South Carolina to back-to-back outback bowl wins is certainly something I think that does not get talked enough. I think guys from that era, that era in general, does not get talked enough. I mean, the Lou Holtz days where, you know, Lou Holtz really changed the culture of South Carolina football. I I think he began – he got that process going, and you could definitely argue that Steve Spurrier doesn't come to South Carolina if it's not for Lou Holtz. Um, so, no, I, I love that answer. I think Phil Petty's a fantastic answer there. I just think that uh, he's certainly a guy that, for all he did at South Carolina, at, you know, at quarterback, I, I just don't think he gets quite the credit that he maybe deserves. I, I 100% agree with you. So, um, appreciate the voicemails, guys. Again, I don't know if we'll do another one next week as far as, uh, you know, another Q&A. With, with, I'll probably have another topic, though. We'll see. But we have more responses, obviously, on Twitter. Obviously, pose the question, who's the most underrated Gamecock of all time? I'll kind of go through these and read these off. Um, Skippy J said Ben Washington, which it's funny. I had to ask him who Ben Washington was, uh, a defensive back from the mid-'90s and a ferocious hitter. Even I didn't know who that was. So you talk about a guy who is underrated. I mean, that that certainly falls the bill, I think. Uh, 
Sir James said Savelle Newton and Dylan Thompson. Um, Bailey Levine said Dylan Thompson. Dylan Thompson was a very popular answer. I agree also with Savelle Newton. I think a guy that was so versatile, he was healthy his entire career. You know, a guy that simply put as one of four guys ever that played college football that went over 600 yards, I believe, passing, rushing, and receiving in a single season and doesn't get talked about at all. So I definitely agree there. Aaron Riddle said DJ Wanham. Um, okay, that's an interesting answer. David Billy the third said Pat DeMarco. Scavenger said Dylan Thompson was such a talented quarterback with a good arm. It played in the shadow of Shaw. Don't get me wrong. I know they were used as a duo. But 10 years from now, who will they remember more of? Um, David Laneza said, I was always a big Corey Boyd fan. Hard runner. I agree. Corey is definitely a guy when you think of great South Carolina running backs. I think uh, gets talked about a fair amount, but certainly was he's one of the best. There's no question. One of the, one of the toughest runners, I think, that's ever came to South Carolina. Um, let's see. 401k Doris is Devin Taylor overshadowed by clowning Ingram can definitely see that Devin was a freak. Um, Michael Joyner says Mike Dingle. And, and I'll be honest, I don't know who Mike Dingle is. Um, Donnie Lucas says TJ Johnson. He anchored those lines for the 11 win years. I agree hundred percent at those big uglies up front are definitely guys that, uh, do not get the, uh, do not get the credit they deserve. Alex Humphrey says Del Wilkes. Um, played in the late 80s on some of those great teams, the, uh, the, the Black Magic teams, if you will. Um, went on to wrestle, by the way, as well, in WWF. He's also a great follow on Twitter. I definitely love that answer a lot. Uh, Bobby Harton says Phil Petty. Um, SML, which is at Budman1685, says, well, seeing as Elliot Fry is the all-time points leader for Gamecock football, I'm going with him. Not a bad answer there as well. Uh, so we've had Elliot Fry – proclaimed as the greatest Gamecock of all time and the most underrated Gamecock of all time, all in one. That's pretty interesting. Um, Ryan Branham, Mike Hold, Stanley Pritchett, or Rashad Faison? Three fantastic names. I agree with Mike Hold 100%. I think Mike Hold is certainly a guy um, that is not talked about enough. And Faison could definitely hold his own. All three of those guys really could. Um, Trey Sartan said Nick Jones. Rachel said Ryan Brewer, our guest today. I think that's a fantastic answer. I think certainly a, a very underrated Gamecock for what he did. Um, AJ Sloat says John Taylor we basically used him in every game saved our bullpen time and time again with long relief stints one of some huge NCAA tournament games including great performances in the College World Series we don't win the 2011 title without him but he's never mentioned I agree with 100% I mean you think of that game what was it game one against Florida I mean South Carolina does not win game one against Florida without John Taylor and he really was the, the stopper that year with that funky under you know sidearm submarine delivery if you will so no great answer there um FCS Nation says Rob DeBoer. Uh, I love that answer as well, running back that played in the 90s. Joshua Morgan says TJ Johnson. Aaron B says Ryan Brewer. Definitely don't get enough love. He was solid every game. Queen, uh, Quentin says A.J. Turner. That's an interesting one. Um, Kevin Webb, Rashad Faison. Um, he said, I don't, remember, I don't remember him missing a tackle. Could cover as well. Man, he could fundamentally wrap up. Uh, and then Jordan Duncan says TJ Johnson. Let's get into the responses from – Instagram, again, appreciate you guys seriously because this wouldn't be nearly as fun. All right, let's get into some more of you guys' responses. Michael D. Wisner says, Mark Fleetwood made some very critical field goals back in the day. That's honestly a name I'm not familiar with, so very interesting there. Um, Sean Sticks Preston says, Dylan Thompson, Corey Whitman, Pat DeMarco, and Matt Price. I agree, Matt Price is one that's certainly not talked about enough. Um, David Knight says, Darian Stewart, Andre Goodman, Corey Boyd, and Devin Taylor. Um, some good names there, no doubt. Those are all those are all very notable names and guys I think aren't talked about enough as well. Um, Robert Doug Hill says Rob DeBoer and or Stanley Pritchett. 
Alex Barcelo says, Ryan, suck up Eric Norwood, Tory Gurley, and Ricardo Hurley, to name a few. Bill Cole says, Connor Shaw was, hands down. I'm not sure if the greatest quarterback of all time is considered underrated, but to each his own. And Michael D. Wisner, again, says Ryan Brewer. So very good responses there. A couple more here as well. Um, Senior Queso dash the second, as you can probably tell him on Reddit now because of the usernames, but Dylan Thompson, he was a great backup in the year he started. He would have won the SEC East. If we had a defense that was just a little bit better, I agree. No, I agree 110% with that. 2001 WS6 says, I'm going to say Pharaoh, a better team around him. We're talking about an all-time great up there with Alshon and more hype than Debo. 2015's carousel of quarterbacks hurt his stats. I, I, I do agree with you to a sense there, no doubt. I, I think Pharaoh Cooper certainly – you know, if, if you put him on those early 2010 teams or whatever, the, the beginning, those great 11 win teams, I definitely think Pharaoh's a guy that's, you know, he's, he's, I think he's looked at as one of the greats, if you will, but not in that upper, upper tier with Alshon and Sidney Rice. I don't think he's, I think he's looked one notch below them. And I agree with you. If he would have played with more consistent quarterback play and, you know, towards the end of the Spurrier era, obviously he dealt what he dealt with. Um, I, I do certainly think that, uh, his stats would have been even better. I think he would have solidified himself up there with the likes of Alshon and Sydney. Um, Imperi says Darian Stewart. Chublaka says David Ross. Lester underscore Turnbuckle says Asim Penny. Um, and that's going to wrap it up for responses. All right, I want to get into mine now, who I think the most underrated Gamecock of all time is. And this is, again, these questions are really, really interesting. Again, appreciate all the responses, the voicemails. They mean a lot, obviously, and it makes it a lot of fun to discuss. For me, I have a response that literally no one said. Um, and it kind of goes back to what I said last week, that I'm looking for someone more so that doesn't just affect their single individual sport, that really their impact is felt across the entire university, the entire athletics department. And, you know, Michael Roth was a good example of that last week because of the reasons I gave last week. And I think this week is even more so of that so my most underrated Gamecock of all time, drum roll please, my most underrated Gamecock of all time is actually South Carolina Gamecock's former athletic director, Mike McGee. Now, I know some of you have probably can't believe it, but yes, Mike McGee to me is the most underrated single person, single Gamecock of all time. Like we said last week, you can be player, coach, administrator, whoever you wanted to be. Mike McGee, to me, was the Gamecock's athletic director from 1993 to 2005. Now, the why behind, for me, why he's the most underrated Gamecock of all time. Someone, when is the last time you heard Mike McGee mentioned in conversation? Obviously, Ray Tanner's mentioned a lot because he won national championships. He's the AD now, and a lot of people are very critical of him, to be, to be frank. Eric Hyman was someone who was talked about a lot, obviously, for different reasons, good and bad. But Mike McGee is someone, to me, that whether it be because of the era, maybe because he retired in 2005, is someone that is simply not talked about enough. He, he took over at USC – when South Carolina joined the SEC, obviously they joined in 1992. He took over at South Carolina in 1993. Listen to the list of coaches that Mike McGee hired during his time at South Carolina. Lou Holtz, Ray Tanner, Dave Odom, Steve Spurrier. Those are just four coaches. I mean, you think about that. Think of those coaches now. Think of those coaches. From Here's another stat for you. From 1998 to 2005, McGee had 13 coaches named National Coach of the Year or SEC Coach of the Year. You have to think of this as well as a program that – before 1993, South Carolina athletically had never won a national championship in anything, in anything. I mean, really, you, I mean, if you just want to take football, what had South Carolina football done to that point? They had never won a bowl game. Their best season was in 1984 in which they lost to Navy. 
And besides that, they really hadn't done a whole lot. I, I mean, I look at Mike McGee as someone, again, I, I thought about this one very hard, and you can probably tell just because the response is so off the wall. But to me, it really goes beyond on the field. Mike McGee was the first one, sort of the person out in front that changed the entire culture of the South Carolina athletics program. If you he, he, some of his other, you know, some of the other things he did at South Carolina, revenue increase from 18 million to 52.8 million per year during his time from start to finish. Um, huge facility improvements, you know, Colonial Life Arena was his idea, was something that was erected during his time. The williams Bryce Stadium expansion when they added, I believe the, uh, I believe it was the south end zone, if I'm wrong on that. I could be wrong, but I believe it was the south end zone. They added that and got the capacity to what it is today, um, which I believe was about 100, over $100 million in facility improvements, if you will. Simply put to me, South Carolina is not in the position that it is today and growing and prospering as an athletics department, as an athletics uh, program, if you will, without Mike McGee. To me, he really set the foundation. Again, when you talk about these coaches, if we wouldn't just talk football, like I said, Lou Holtz, Steve Spurrier, I mean, he was able to go and get these big-name guys, to get these big-name coaches. South Carolina won its first-ever bowl game with Mike McGee being the athletic director, 1995 CarQuest Bowl. I mean, these are little things, but these things add up, and they're a very, very big deal. Again, Lou Holtz, for me, was almost the most underrated Gamecock of all time. He almost was because, to me, Lou Holtz was the beginning I mentioned earlier. He's a guy that started the culture change at South Carolina. He, he's the guy that started the culture change. I, and, again, you can argue there's no Steve Spurrier without Lou Holtz being at South Carolina. Lou Holtz basically convinced Steve Spurrier to come down to South Carolina. So, so I went even deeper because, to me, Lou Holtz, he's, he is underrated in my opinion, but I think he still gets plenty of recognition. I mean, heck, his, his, his mural is up inside the, uh, the indoor facility for South Carolina, so he's definitely someone recognized. But the guy behind the guy, Mike McGee, the guy that really started it all. I mean, you look at some of his other um, – some of his other accolades, what he did as well. I mean, you know, again, $110 million in facility improvements, Colonial Life Arena. Um, South Carolina won eight SEC championships, baseball, women's track, basketball, softball, golf. And that was just really in the 2000s. Um, you know, think of the hire with Ray Tanner. I mean, think of the hire with Ray Tanner, what South Carolina did with Ray Tanner. You know, we talked about Michael Roth being the greatest Gamecock of all time. There's no Michael Roth. There are no national championships without Mike McGee pulling the trigger and hiring Ray Tanner in the late 90s. There are none of those national championships. Um, South Carolina with the fundraising. That's another huge deal with the Gamecock Club. Um, total, this is, again, these numbers are from the early 2000s, 2003 to 2004. Total more than $11.9 million in annual giving, though. It was the highest in program history. In addition, $5.6 million over the past two years have been transferred to the university academic budget. Everything improved under Mike McGee. So, again, to me, like I mentioned last week, I, I like to pick someone that their impact truly goes beyond just one individual sport. And, and I know, listen, there are certain guys you can definitely – there are certain specific athletes certainly on that list that I would agree with. Again, that no answer is a bad answer here. It's all, it's all subjective, right? But to me – South Carolina athletically, South Carolina just as a program is simply not where it is without Mike McGee and what he did for the program. Again, hiring those big-time head coaches, Lou Holtz, Ray Tanner, Dave Odom, Steve Spurrier, getting the revenue, improving the facilities. Now, he certainly wasn't perfect. There, there were definitely people that were highly critical of him. When you're in that position, when you're an athletic director, it's just like being a head coach. You take criticism, things of that nature. Was not perfect. But the guy to me that really spearheaded the, 
the success we've seen with South Carolina in the SEC. I mean, it's not easy, you think, to go from independent to SEC and someone to come in and take in, take over, and really be the guy that makes the program better. And, I mean, you could argue, you could really argue that, you know, since 2000, you know, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but since 2000, has South Carolina athletically, as an athletics program, ever had a better 20-year run than they're having right now? I mean, have they? I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong. But is, this is – I mean, things are only getting better at South Carolina is what I'm saying. As a, completely, as a complete athletics department, if you will. And I think Mike McGee honestly was the guy that really, again, set that foundation, really started that. I think he really was. Again, you don't have the success you have if you don't hire these coaches. I just I, – I don't think so. Um, you especially don't have the success you have if you don't improve the facilities, increase your revenue – um, increased daily giving with the Gamecock Club, the Booster Club, things of that nature. So, to me, again, that's that's why, to me, kind of an off-the-wall, kind of a different answer, if you will, but Mike McGee, to me, the most underrated Gamecock of all time, former South Carolina Gamecocks athletic director from 1993 to 2005. Again, appreciate all you guys' responses and a lot of, lot of fun. A lot of fun talking about this, debating this. Uh, it's a ton of fun. So, let's get into the rest of the show. It's funny – I told myself before I started recording, got to go back to two shows a week as soon as possible because tons, a ton of recruiting tidbits. It's crazy how much recruiting we had to talk, which is a great thing. But I'm like, man, I already miss doing two shows per week. I might as well do it. There's so much news going on right now. Um, let's get into recruiting. Like I said, 2023 star defensive back Dominic Hill commits to South Carolina, committed last week 6'2", 175 from Orlando, Florida. Um, impressive kid. His offers included Missouri, Al Alabama, and Auburn. Um, he's been clocked at a 4-3, 40-yard dash. Listen, with Will Muschamp, you know, and I, I haven't been able to watch a ton of film on this kid, but you have to like the length for him. That's the first thing I noticed, again, being 6'2", real lanky guy. He'll definitely beef up when he gets to college. And his offer list as well. I mean, when you get offered by Alabama and Auburn, you're a pretty good prospect. I don't care how many stars you have. So, to me, you know, and the funny thing is, is when Will Muschamp, I almost don't even care to look at anything about them. When Will Muschamp offers and gets a defensive back commitment, I, again, I just trust Will Muschamp and T-Rob. I, I don't even concern myself with, well, is this a good prospect? Is it not? Is this a what? No. Will Muschamp and T-Rob, their, their, reputation, their reputation precedes them. We have no room to doubt what Will Muschamp and T-Rob do, who they think is fit to come into their program to play defensive back. And Dominic Hill is certainly an impressive prospect either way. But uh, if you get the must champ in the T-Rob seal of approval, you certainly are a, a true player, in my opinion. Um, also, 2020 four-star O-lineman Isaiah Walker reaffirms his commitment. So this was really interesting. He actually said he's not going to take any more official visits and said he is, quote, 100% committed. Um, obviously, this is a big-time commitment or a big-time prospect, if you will, a guy committed to the Gamecocks. You know, I I am excited. Obviously, those comments are great. You always want to hear those types of comments, but I'm very wait and see because we've certainly heard, kid, heard kids say they are, quote-unquote, 100% committed, 110% committed, if you're catching my drift. Um, so you never know in recruiting, but overall, that, that's great to hear because the Gamecocks, obviously, I talked last week, I believe, that uh, you know, football is built in the line of scrimmage, and the more guys you can get, like an Isaiah Walker, to come to South Carolina, Eric Wolford, obviously, is another guy that he really, his reputation precedes him. Anybody he wants to bring on the offensive line to me, if they got the Eric Wolford stamp of approval, you know, that's enough for me. But Isaiah Walker's a guy that really fits the bill as a big-time offensive lineman and big-time offensive lineman in the SEC. So very excited to hear that news as well. Um, also, 
Gamecocks pick up a commit from William & Mary tight end uh, transfer Nick Muse. So this was one that I know a lot of people had a lot of questions about. Um, first off, Muse is applying for a waiver. He's going to have two years to play. So he may have to sit out this year. You know how the NCAA is waivers. So I, if I had to guess, he'll probably have to sit out. But either way, whenever he becomes eligible, he'll have two years to play. He's the brother. He's actually the brother of Clemson safety Tanner Muse, which is a very interesting dynamic. Um, but I know a lot of people, including myself, were asking themselves, why would South Carolina pick up a transfer tight end? You know, is that really a position of need? Because you have Keel Pollard, you have Kyle Markway, you have Evan Henson. Um, you have, you know, Travion Kenyon. You have, I uh, believe, Keyshawn Tony's a tight end as well. I mean, you have a lot of guys there and a lot of youth. So what is the reason for picking up this guy? I know a lot of – I had the same question too to myself. You know, I, I, when I saw it on social media thinking, oh, great, we got to commit. And then it's like, well, why did – I don't understand. Um, again, I, from what I've heard, this is a guy they saw at camp, were very impressed with. The only thing – the only way I can reason it is that South Carolina knows that Keel Pollard's a senior this year. Um, they have a lot of unproven guys at tight end and wanted to bring in another. Obviously, you lose both Jacob August. Um, you lose Jacob August from last year. You lose Casey Crosby from last year is the name that slipped my mind. Um, but you lose those two guys. So, I, I know – I mean, Will Muschamp, again, like I talked about last week, he's a huge camp coach. If he sees you at camp and he's impressed, it seems like he's going to throw you an offer. That just seems to be his M.O. So they must have seen something they liked at a Tanner Muse. And, again, a kid, I don't want people to get distracted on the fact that he went to William & Mary. If you watch him on film, you watch him against – he actually had a really long touchdown against Virginia Tech last year. guy that can play some ball. I mean, he, he can certainly play some ball. He's a big kid. He can block. Um, so we'll see. I mean, this is kind of a wait-and-see one. But overall, um, you know, you kind of have to just trust the coaches with this one because it's just – it is kind of an interesting pickup. It's a weird pickup, in my opinion. You – Kind of leaves you scratching your head, but overall, again, Nick Muse coming to South Carolina. So he may not even play this year, like I said. So either way, I think they're looking at it more so instead of having to recruit another tight end maybe next season, they're looking at it as why not pick up? It's almost like picking up a free agent. You're picking up a guy that you know can play college football. It's, it's a lot more of a it's a lot more of a sure thing than taking a freshman that you have no clue how he'll react, react when he gets to college. So we'll see. We'll see how it pans out. Um, 2024 star defensive lineman Miles Murphy sets his announcement date July 8th at 3 o'clock at Dudley High School. Obviously, this is a big one that Gamecock fans have been keeping an eye on for a while. There's a couple of names, Murphy, Bigsby, Birch. There's a couple big names that Gamecock fans are certainly keeping a close eye on. Murphy announcing July 8th. I will say I feel really good about South Carolina's chances to get Miles Murphy. Um, I think they've been trending positively with him for a while. Um, and from what people tell me that are pretty close to the situation, they feel good about it. So I'll be interested to see, you know, it, it, what he does there. But I think South Carolina's got as good a chance as anybody, maybe even a better chance. Um, Reggie Grimes, here's a very interesting one. No, reported no longer a take for Alabama, which is, again, rumor. It's a rumor. So I'm not 100% sure, but it's apparently reported he's no longer a take for Alabama. You know, what does this mean? I, could he potentially come to South Carolina? You know, the four-star defensive lineman, it's been rumored he might play tight end for South Carolina. He also announced his announcement date. He is playing – he's announcing November the 2nd. Um, so, very interesting there. That's going to be another one to keep an eye on. It's, again, South Carolina continues to build on the line of scrimmage. Reggie Grimes a big-time prospect for sure. Um, some other quick news and notes in recruiting. Preferred walk-on offensive lineman Chuck Strickland committed, a local kid from Burns. 
2023 star athlete Eric Shaw drops his top seven, which includes South Carolina, Auburn, Florida, Kentucky, LSU, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. I think it's pretty obvious that kid wants to play in the SEC. But from what I've heard, a kid that South Carolina sits really well with right now, and I think he'll actually be a tight end, so which kind of makes the Nick Muse thing even more confusing. Um, and then 2023 star athlete Javon Swinton drops his top five, USC, Rutgers, Wake Forest, Syracuse, and Indiana. I agree with all South Carolina fans that say, wow, when you read off that list of schools, the Gamecocks should certainly get him. I do agree with you. Um, I'd be shocked if they don't get him. I think what's more than likely to happen if they don't get him is that he's just not a take for South Carolina at that point. That's just being completely honest. Um, some baseball recruiting as well. South Carolina baseball picks up two grad transfers, UCF catcher Dallas Beaver and Southern Miss catcher and infielder Bryant Bowen. I think it's interesting. Gamecocks are really – Mark Kingston and staff are really going to the grad transfer market or just the, the, uh, the transfer market, the junior college market, if you will. Um, it's very interesting. I, I'm – what it – more so to me – more so to me, what I'm thinking is, what does it say about Luke Berryhill? I mean, is he coming back? Because to me, if you're going out and getting two guys that can catch, I don't feel like Luke, there's a good chance Luke Berryhill comes back. I don't know. That's just me, you know, that's just kind of me thinking there. I mean, I've also heard from some other people that may be saying that Luke Berryhill wants to come back and play a different position, which, hey, wouldn't be a bad thing at all. I mean, I, again, when you're asking a guy to catch as many games as Berryhill did, that's a lot to ask of a guy. So, as much quality depth as you can bring back there, for sure. I know Bryant Bowen can play a corner infield position, a guy with a lot of power. Both these guys have a lot of power. These are going to be your typical Kingston guys that are swinging for the fences, that have some pop. Um, excited to see them both, obviously, but I think it's interesting. This is sort of the way that I think South Carolina is going to be looking to rebuild this program over the next two, three years. As far as bringing in grad transfers, bringing in a lot of JUCO guys, Guys, you don't have to develop a ton. The guys like the Eisters, like the Berry Hills, guys that can come in and hopefully immediately contribute. I mean, we certainly saw that with those guys this year. I mean, they weren't great all year per se, but certainly every single day, every day guys that contributed to your baseball team. So I definitely think this we're going to see more of this. I think we're going to see a lot more of this as Mark Kingston looks to rebuild the baseball program. Um, another piece of news that wasn't on last week's show that I thought I would share that uh, – is it, it will definitely get South Carolina fans excited. So Steve, Steven Garcia was on the Saturday Down South podcast last week, and he, he made a statement about the South Carolina-Alabama game this fall. Basically was asked, has South Carolina reached out to you, you know, talking about are you going to be there for the Alabama game, come on the field, like what are you going to do? And <clears throat> this is what Steven Garcia had to say, quote, so Justin King asked me if I wanted to do like the little Gamecock chant before the game. So I'll probably end up doing that. We'll see what happens, man. So that's exciting. <laughs> that's exciting to hear, no doubt. Uh, I know South Carolina fans have been, you know, I've been one to say, you know, if Steven Garcia is not on the field before the South Carolina-Alabama game, I will riot because you're just missing a golden opportunity to have one of, your, one of your legends, the guy that beat Alabama last time they were at your house. You're missing the opportunity to have him on the field. So, you know, I, I definitely think uh, – that's something that needs to happen. So hopefully Justin King, the powers that be, can figure that out. And Steven Garcia can – I don't – heck, he, doing the Gamecocks chant, that's awesome. I want to see him run out with a team. I want to see him do the coin flip. I want, I want to see him do it all. I, I want to see him stone cold Steve Austin two beers on the Jumbotron and, and, and give a Spurs up. I, I want to see it all. I, I think anything we can do to get some positive momentum, some positive juju in the stadium before that one, we absolutely can use it. So – 
100%, whoever the powers that be can make that happen, they absolutely need to make that happen. Um, so have some bad news for you guys. For whatever reason, you know that I take my listener questions on Instagram. Um, for whatever reason, Instagram right now is saying that the story is no longer available and none of the questions are showing up. So I don't know if this is a new thing that Instagram has got meant going on, if something's screwing up with Instagram, but obviously, as you know, as you can tell, I'm not, I'm not very happy about it. it. actually really pisses me off because there are a lot of good listener questions. So if you left a listener question, I, I really do apologize. Hopefully we can get it figured out before, um, before next week. But yeah, that is, that's not good. That, that will really, that really pisses me off actually. So yeah. So apologize for the inconvenience. I actually do have one question that I will answer because it came through on Twitter. So again, to everyone that left a question on Instagram, I do apologize. I don't know if they're doing it now where the questions like expire once the story goes off. Cause it's never been like that. It's normally been that the, the questions stay with the story, if you will. I don't know what's going on. So We'll, I'll get it figured out for next week's show, no problem. But again, apologize to you guys that all left your questions. Um, but do have one on Twitter from Cody Branham. He asked, if you had to pick a quarterback to start for four years at South Carolina, who would you pick, Dylan Thompson or Jake Bentley? And that's actually a fantastic question to end this show on because that we could do an entire show on that question. If you had to pick a quarterback to start for four years at South Carolina, who would you pick, Dylan Thompson or Jake Bentley? And I think it's going to be split 50-50 down the middle. But to me, it's tough. It really is. It's tough. It's tough because I could argue on one hand that Dylan Thompson was a – as good as he was now, as good as he was, was a beneficiary of how good his team was around him. I talked about the crazy depth South Carolina had under Steve Spurrier. I mean, it's no question. And Jake Bentley, I could argue, has done more with less, if you will. I mean – I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I think if you put both Dylan, if you give Dylan Thompson four years, I think he's breaking all of the passing records. I, I do. I just, I think he's going to break Jake Bentley's as well. I, I no question in my mind. I, I just, I don't know. I, I do believe that Dylan Thompson, if I had to, if I had to pick one, I would pick Dylan Thompson. I just, I can't pick, I can't pick Jake Bentley right now simply because you know what, even with a great team around you, you got to go out and win a game, right? If you're the quarterback, you got to go out and play and win a game. Dylan Thompson showed the ability to do that. I mean, he went on the road in 2012 to Clemson and beat Clemson. I know he struggled against Missouri in 2013, but I, he at least has one big-time win under his belt. Jake Bentley is still looking for that one. I think that answer could change after this season, depending on what happens. But for me right now, I would be taking Dylan Thompson. I would take Dylan Thompson to be my guy. Um so, yeah, I think that that is a great question, though. And I think that would be – that actually might even be a poll question. I might just run it now. I might steal it from you, Cody. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's a fantastic question. Appreciate you leaving it again. Uh, stay tuned. Got a fantastic interview with Ryan Brewer. Let's talk about someone that's an underrated Gamecock, in my opinion. Former Gamecocks running back in 2001 Outback Bowl MVP, Ryan Brewer. Talk about everything from literally being Mr. Football in Ohio in 1998, choosing South Carolina, playing for Lou Holtz, um, his best Lou Holt story, you know, winning back-to-back -back Outback Bowls, his business currently that he's running right now, the 2019 version of the Gamecocks, a little bit of everything and anything in the interview that's brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Again, SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use. They've got tickets to literally everything, whether you're trying to get tickets to South Carolina Gamecocks sporting events, NBA, NHL, NFL, 
whatever, whatever you need tickets to. If it's not sports, concerts, comedy club events, festivals, you name it, they've got tickets there. They've actually got a great ticket rating system, which rates the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you know what you're getting before you click the buy button. You know if you're getting a really good deal. You know if you're getting a steal. You know if you're getting ripped off. So you know what to get, what not to get. So you're peace of mind when you click the buy button. Again, it's really that simple. Go use our promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. Again, download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use that promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks running back Ryan Brewer. All right, joining us on today's show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 1999 to 2002. He amassed 1,691 all-purpose yards and 10 total touchdowns over his South Carolina career. He's also most well-known for the Outback Bowl in 2001, in which he was named the MVP, had over 200 all-purpose yards and three touchdowns in South Carolina's 24-7 win over Ohio State. I'm very, very pleased to welcome to the show former Gamecocks running back Ryan Brewer. Ryan, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. I'm excited to do this and excited for uh, this upcoming season. It's just it's fun to reminisce coming back and listen to all the stories you're telling. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been fun. No doubt, no, for sure. So let's go back to the beginning for you, Ryan, because one thing I didn't mention that you accomplished during your football career, you were 1998 Ohio's Mr. Football, which obviously, as we know, with South Carolina getting these past recruits past couple of years with being Mr. Football in the state of South Carolina, I feel like being Mr. Football in your home state is a, a big accomplishment, a big award. Just talk about why South Carolina for you. I know the stuff with the, uh, the hometown school, Ohio State, we're going to get to in just a little bit, but why South Carolina for you? What was the recruiting process like, and why did you choose to uh, – to become a Gamecock? Yeah, my, my recruiting process is probably a little bit different, uh, especially nowadays with uh, how it's happened with social media and all that. But just the, like you said, being named Mr. Football in 1998, and I was actually named Mr. Football of the decade of the 90s, but yet still didn't get a lot of offers uh, as a running back. At some schools, Michigan wanted me to play DB. Uh, Louisville wanted me to, you know, they want to play a little slot receiver, running back, and a little bit of defense. Um, but it was, it was hit and miss with the bigger schools. All the Mac schools were coming, but I never got the uh, the big schools coming at you know at me. But uh, it was kind of crazy. I was a Notre Dame fan, and Urban Meyer was recruiting me there at the time before he went to Bowling Green, and uh, it was it it was just a kind of whirlwind. He got changed over as a head coach there, and just I had no idea where I was going to go. And that's when Coach Holst accepted the job here in South Carolina, and it just um, through letters and through uh, people reaching out, finally Skip came uh, to my hometown in a, in a blizzard, and uh, we just it hit it off great. And it was just one of those things. I was ready to commit right when Coach Holt, you know, stepped on South Carolina, not even knowing a lot about um, you know the university itself. But it was just a whirlwind. It was a crazy situation for for myself, and my family, not knowing what we we're going to do, um, going to play. Unlike you see now, these guys, I feel like they get to all the show, shows they can put on with the hats and the, and the Twitters and the uh, just the big time recruits that they have there. It's, it's been, it's kind of, it's fun to watch at the same time. It's like, man, you know, didn't get to do that in my, back in my day. No doubt. Yeah. I'm very interested, Ryan, to hear kind of your, your overall perception, I guess, of the South Carolina football program when you got recruited, because you came in at a very interesting time. Like you said, Lou Holtz had just taken over South Carolina. I mean, the, Let's be honest, the 90s was sort of a rough decade for South Carolina, especially 1998, 1999, when South Carolina went 1-21, 0-11 in 99. We all know about the losing 
agree with. I mean, just did, did you were you very familiar with that at all? I mean, again, I know being up in Ohio, you mentioned you really didn't know much about Gamecock football, but I mean, what was your perception overall of South Carolina? That's the funny thing about it. The, the perception for me, it, it wasn't it wasn't anything about. I knew that Coach Holtz was coming here, and it was just looking to the future. The past is done, and that's you know kind of how I live my life. The past is over with. So it's time to build on the future. And what they what they sold was, you know, what you can become and what you what you can bring to this program. It's, it still had the fan base that's unreal. You know, and I was part of that 0-11 season. And it was packed out there. And we had some super loyal fans, and we still do. Um, but just, just going through with all the rigors with us. But just recruiting-wise and, and players that came, you know, Andrew Pennant came from Connecticut, and you had Derek as well. So we had three Mr. Footballs just in the running back coming in. It was just exciting to know that this freshman class was building something quickly something special because coach had to do it you know super fast when he came in uh, with not a lot of time and we had a lot of talent that I didn't know at the time um, you know on, on the field already or as our sophomore class uh, with Petty and, and Sheldon Brown and Goodman and all those our defense has always been spectacular here so uh, it was just uh, it was just something to build on and just that's how they sold it you're going to be something special we're going to build on it um, didn't really pan out that first year being 0-11 but we also knew and where we came from and how hard we worked so that 0-11, we were never that far off when this ball games. No doubt. So, Ryan, talk about playing. You've mentioned a couple times Lou Holtz, uh, your former head coach. Obviously, I know you got recruited mainly by Skip, but just talk about what it was like being a player under Lou Holtz, what it was like be, uh, being a running back in his offense. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it was kind of hit and miss with me with the running back spot to – Starting early on, I got a lot of uh, a lot of play there at running back. We also it was loaded with uh, Derek Watson being there, Pinnock being there as a running back slash fullback. Um, so I, I had to do what I had to do to get on that football field. So if I had to be slot receiver, punt returner, kick returner, heck, if I had to kick whatever I wanted, you know, had to do, I was going to try to get on that field. So, um, but that was the the beauty of it. Coach Holtz was was open minded to a lot of that, and he was he was a good teacher. Um, is a Coach wise, a lot of guys, you know, as a father figure type guy. But he, he was a he was a motivator to an extent of different to every player. Um, he knew how to push your buttons, good or bad. And sometimes, you know, some of you know, like myself, he would, you know, he jumped a couple times in situations that got, you know, got me fired up enough to to show that hey, I don't need to be jumped. I can do this on my own. But he's he was just a guy that taught us a lot of life life lessons. Um, a lot of these guys, you know, that are coaching now, they still hold true to you know a lot of his sayings and his speeches and his. Um, acronyms that he puts out there, um, you know, even like Langston Moore, with the, he has in there the, what's important now. They do the win. And, you know, there's a lot of guys take that on, and I, myself do as well. You know. So you know, I want to jump to, like I said, I've had some of your former teammates on here, obviously Phil Petty, Eric Kimry. They talk about Lou Holtz, kind of his coaching style, and obviously we know he can be a very, a very tough, hard-nosed coach. Did you ever have any experiences with coach that uh, – I mean, I, I got to imagine, especially again, being just playing under him has got to be a. Uh, it's got to be an interesting experience. It sounds like it's, uh, you know, it, it's not for everybody for sure. It's not. You have to have uh, thick skin. Um, it, truthfully, I said he's a little different with every person out there. I've had, I've had my run-ins and mostly you know, good when he, you know, things he's done and pushes me uh, as a, as a player as a person. Uh, just from things out there and it, just him and the and the coaches I've had with Coach Fabris and making sure I was out there in the dark trying to catch 100 punts in a row before we had lights and the punter's legs wearing off. You know, the things I had to do that just made a better player on the field. But, uh, you know, Coach was a guy that, like I said, master motivator, however it is. But I've had him uh, uh, from 
quite frankly, cussing me out of my mom's answer machine to, you know, grabbing a face mask and, and making sure that, you know, he knows that he's boss out there. There's a, there's been some really squirrely instances, but that's, but it's, either way it was, it pushed my buttons to the right spot and made me a better person and player. No doubt. So I want to ask you, Ryan, you know, because you definitely showed spurts throughout your career and especially capped off by the 2001 Outback Bowl that, you know, you were a game-breaking game breaking type player. Again, you weren't Mr. Ohio, uh, Ohio's Mr. Football in accident. And you, you mentioned some of your teammates you came in, Derek Watson, um, Andrew Penning. Did you ever feel like you were kind of the guy that was overlooked or maybe underrated during your time at, at South Carolina? Because it's funny, this show we're actually doing uh, posing the question, who's the most underrated Gamecock of all time? And I, I'll be honest, I would put you probably top five or top ten on that list. I think my whole life I've, I feel that way, um, just as a player, uh, what I did. I kind of kept the chip on my shoulder, honestly. Um, you know, I've had uh, – at times with recruiting being places that I've had coaches tell me that I was the wrong color to play this position, straight to my face on a recruiting visit. So it's just one of those, and you kind of look at it and say, you know what, that's fine. I'm going to show you that I'm a running back, and I'm going to do what I have to do out there. Um, but it's, uh, I've always had that little chip, and I've had guys that, uh, you know, even recruiting visit here, they said, hey, you'll never play here. You're, you got Troy you know, Hambrick in front of you and, and Boo Williams and all these guys. You'll, you'll never see it down. That's what I'll even see me play, because you look at my stats or you look at, you know, and they just look at me and say, hey, you know, maybe this guy can't do it. Um, but that was the motivating factor for me, and it's fine. You, know, you bring bring them all, bring whatever you can. I'm going to show you on that football field. So um, I miss it tremendously, that, that aspect, was you try to keep carrying that on through life, just to, whatever you can find that motivates you and keeps pushing you to the next level. How would you describe your, not just your running style, but because like, like you mentioned, you played running back, receiver, you were on special teams, wherever you get on the field. How would you describe your playing style to people? I'll just, uh, my biggest thing is, is every play is a, is a challenge, is a war, is a battle within itself and that was the thing that people miss is it's you got to go and you have it you have an opportunity and you have an assignment to do at that one moment that one play you've been you've been caught up and coached and coached what to do if you do that play 100 percent you you're a winner for that play and that was you know one of coaches things getting a winner certificate and they grade you out in every play so i never wanted to be pinpointed have that laser point on hey look at brewer right there he loafed or look at him or have a missed assignment so it's just finding that internal battle to make sure that every play that you have, you win it. And that's, you know, I was I was a decent player enough, like vision wise, and uh, finding the holes and being able to explode through those. I was quick enough to get, you know, make it the first man miss, and then I I love the the contact after. My goal goals of running backs to make one guy miss, and after that I get to run someone over. And that's I always want to try to deliver the blow, you know, instead of taking it. No doubt. So, Ryan, let's move into it. Let's just go ahead and talk about the 2001 Outback Bowl again. You were named MVP of the game. You guys yep. dismantle Ohio State 24-7. You have three touchdowns, uh, 92 yards on the ground, 109 yards receiving. Uh, let me ask you this. Before, going into the week that, you know, that, that, that week of that game, was the game plan to get the ball in your hands a lot already, or was it a situation where it just kind of came about during the game you were open or you guys were in good position to get you the ball? I mean, just talk about what the game plan was and I guess how involved you were in it. I don't, you know, I don't think the game plan was to see, you know, get the ball in my hands per se. It was more uh, just see how the flow was going to go. You I mean, you had, you know, Petty quarterback, JK out wide, and you know, Brian Scott, we had a lot of good weapons offensively. And like I said, defense, defensively, we were destroying them. Um, the, the craziest part about the game as it went was you could tell that our O-line was absolutely dominating their D-line. So the, the, the running plays out wide where I can cut back lanes were, were open. Uh, screen plays were open the whole time because they wanted to come up field as quick as possible. We had a couple of draws that 
uh, it was kind of funny. One of the draw plays there, you know, I was supposed to wait for a count snap and, and, and then come back through. But Phil, same mindset as me, saw the blitz coming. We hit it quick and just went right up the middle. I think it was 15, 17 yards with, you know, just we, we're reading the, we're reading them and playing off of their, uh, you know, what they were doing wrong out there. Um, but it was just it was just one of those games. I think you you know as a coach you can start feeling the momentum going. You know when the hot hand's there, and I was I was getting the hot hand. I was feeling it. I was feeling the game going through. Um, when that was going, he was going there, so they kept pushing the ball in my hands. But it was it was a uh, surreal moment. But leading up to practice, it, I didn't think it was going to be this way. It was one of those um, a lot of distractions, a lot of things going on with the media and the coverage, trying to make this more. A David Goliath type deal, more you know, me versus Ohio State and John Cooper and all that. When it, you know, we had a like I said, this had this game. Yes, man, maybe I was the MVP, but our O line dominated, our defense dominated. Uh, and it was just a whole group effort out there, and it, it was a real fun game, you know, to be a part of. Now, Ryan, you already mentioned you're a guy that played just played in general with a chip on your shoulder. So I know it's a silly question to ask, but I mean, you know, with all the media stuff, you try to block it out. But I mean, how big of a factor was it that again, this was your home state school? You were Ohio's Mr. Football, and they did not recruit you. How big of a factor was that for you going into game day? And how badly, I guess, did you want to have a good game against those guys? Yeah, I mean, I always want to have a good game. You, you can say all the I don't want to say all the coaches speak or whatever. You know that's. I'm going out there to do what I can do, you know, like I said before, one play at a time type deal, 100%. But there was a there was a little different feeling going on in this game. Like I said, with all the, the media in my hometown only being, you know, a little less than a mile away from, from Columbus, uh, it, it was, you know, I, I have guys now that have Gamecock tattoos that are, you know, in Troy, Ohio. So there's – it was a big deal um, for my little town, for uh, for myself, for my family, uh, just to go out there and, and prove, you know, prove them wrong, prove them, you know, this – you understand there was times I'd go to uh, recruiting visits, uh, one of the Illinois games, one of the biggest ones. That you know, Ohio State told me to come there. I went there with my brother. Um, and at that time, the running back coach said, hey, I think coach is going to offer you a scholarship. Well, Coach Cooper walked up to me and, and pretty much just gave me a you know, a little swim move and went to the next guy. Didn't say hey or nothing, you know, kiss my butt, nothing. Just walked right by me, gave me a swim move. And that was when the moment – my brother looked at me and said, "Hey, we're going to Michigan. This is before Lou, you know, came to South Carolina. So we're going to Michigan. We're going to we're going to take it to these guys." And he said, "You know what? That's a great idea." But then Coach Holtz luckily, you know, came down here. It's, it was a moment that I thought would never happen coming to the SEC, playing for South Carolina, that I'd ever be able to play against Ohio State, and not only once but twice, and be able to, you know, you know, kick their ass two times in a row was awesome. No doubt. I wanted to ask you, because you, like you mentioned, you know, it was a David versus Goliath matchup, if you will. You know, this great program, Ohio State against South Carolina, who, you know, just a couple year, years ago had a 21-game losing streak. Again, I talked about the chip on your shoulder. Do you feel like that resonated with the entire team as well, though? Because, again, like you said, I think South Carolina was very slept on in this game. And, again, like you mentioned, I mean, you guys went out there and just kicked ass. I mean, all facets of the game. Do you think yeah. that was widespread throughout the team? Oh yeah, there are. So we we have to go to meetings and dinners with you know together collectively, Ohio State and us. And and Coach Holtz had us trained right. We're wearing our ties, or we're always wearing the same outfits, and, and you know staying as a group, just you know being a team. These guys would come in like, you know, like for one, like who are these? Who's South Carolina? You can just read their body language. They thought they were just going to walk all over. So it just it kept building more and more. We knew we were fine. You know, for where we came from. You know, the 0-11 seasons, where we were, we knew, you know, 
we battled our tail. We worked our tails off in the off season. We had, you know, one of the best groups of guys that we still hang out with, you know, that my brothers forever. And that, that's because of what we did and what we, we accomplished because of where we came from that, you know, those sophomores, they, they did the one in 21. I was, you know, I was on 11. They all been through that. Never want that to happen again. You finally get a chance to play against a team. That's the prominent national powerhouse, the Buckeyes that, they walk in the room like, you know, they can just roll their helmets out on the field and just beat us. And, you know, they, were, uh, they slept on us a little, little bit too long and, and, and got the feeling, feelings hurt a little bit after that game. No doubt. I also want to say thank you to you, Ryan, because you produced from that game one of the best gifts I've ever seen. I don't know if you have seen it, but the one where you're on the ground and the, you're getting up, the Ohio State player is kind of like over your shoulder and you just straight up flip him over your back is probably one of the all-time gifts out there so I don't know do you have you seen that one I guess I have to ask I put it I, I well yeah I put it out I put it, that video I guess out there I was a new year yeah it was I think it was 2017 or 18 I said get off me 2017 2018 <laughs> or something like that I put that out there on my Twitter on my Twitter page just uh, uh just joking around but Wilhelm yeah I, I think he got the uh, uh the brunt of the face mask from Doss there that I, you know I thought he was standing over me a little bit too long but when you go back and watch film it really wasn't that long but it just felt like one of those moments why is this guy standing over top of me for 30 seconds but it was you know, about a second and then I was a little you know still fired up at the moment I mean Doss did try to rip my head off with you know, hold on my face mask the whole time so uh, about rip my cornea off too but it was uh yeah it, it was a uh, another again another moment that just uh just instilled with the fire that was running through me to be able to stand up and throw a guy like that. So awesome. So awesome. All right. So let's move right into the Carolina Clemson rivalry. Obviously um, it's interesting for you again, you're not an in-state guy. So coming from out of state, I know it's probably a game you didn't whole, know a whole lot about. Um, you were able to beat those guys once in 2001 at home, but just talk about the rivalry in general. When did it click for you? How big of a game that was? It's um you know, when we first get here and you're you're training, I said I was on the Ohio State, Michigan, and grew up through that. Uh, grew up through the Louisville, Kentucky uh, basketball rivalry. I was I was in that area. I was born in Louisville. Um, but when you get here and you get on campus, especially those years, that's all it was about. That's all the fans cared about. That's all it was. You know, it was, it was hey, you got to take it to Clemson. They had nothing nothing else they worried about. You got to take it to Clemson and. Um, it, it grew real quick, and you know I've been here long enough. And it, but it's it's uh, it's hard for me to even see the, what Orange is doing right now. It's uh it's tough to swallow. But um, you know what they their their hats off to them. They're working their tails off. But at that moment, that time, um, my freshman year, I remember walking. We'd walk across to the graveyard, you know, for practice. And and before that game, we you know you got to realize we're we're zero ten. We're playing close. And they still have. There's hope. They're still. We're going to beat these. You know, we're going to beat these guys, and we don't want to get the whatever zero bars thrown on the field and all that. But it's um, the crazy part. It is a more of a fan based rivalry. Being out of it, I, I have more hatred than I did for the players at the time. I've, you know, more. I the hatreds maybe. No, that's the right word. Never mind. But, you know, <laughs> then the going through it. So it's uh, as as a player, you, you're on the field. You, you understand what they're doing. They're, you know, you're trying to win a ball game. Um, but God, it's it's just one of those the rivalries that you can feel. You literally can feel it in the stands. You can feel the energy. You can feel the excitement. And, it's, and when you're down there and you got eight thousand around you, and they all have that same feeling, it's a it's a great excitement, like hair rising excitement. 
I'll ask you the same question I asked Phil Petty, and I know the response I'm going to get from you, but is there any doubt in your mind that Rod Gardner pushed off? Oh, hell no. He pushed off. <laughs> he, he think, you think that Andre Goodman's going to let that dude catch a ball without a, getting a penalty on him? Well, that was – there's no doubt about it. And that was a – yeah, that was a moment. You know, I, I always wonder if they do call that or if we end up winning that game. What you know, Instead of the push-off game, would it be the Tommy Hill fumble recovery? in the end zone. I don't know if, if anybody even knows that happened. Yeah. You know, I actually was going going in back and, and watched and remember that. Yeah. The, the fumble recovery. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, uh, would he go down? Did he miss his big moment in Gamecock history? You know, because of that push off as well. You know, there's things that, you know, you just don't, and it's then the kickoff return afterwards, you know, the crazy part about it besides highlights and watching that play, I get to watch that. Shoot. I have yet to watch the Outback Bowl. Both of them in full. I've watched highlights. I've watched that because being the end of the year, we never watched, you know, didn't watch tape on it. I didn't watch film on it a thousand times. So all those end of the year games, I really have yet to go back and, and watch them all. Um, and it's hard for me to watch this too. I critique the heck out of myself, even no matter what I do. I think I do it wrong on the field. So, um, but it's just one of those. Um, but go back to your question. Hell yeah, you pushed off. <laughs> No doubt. And then finally, just talk about again, you did beat them in 2001 at home. I know it was a huge relief for South Carolina because it ended a few years losing streak to those guys. Just, I guess, talk about, because at that point, you certainly knew how big of a game it was and what it meant to you. Just how satisfying was it, I guess, to uh, to be able to beat Clemson? Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of like a little weight came off our shoulders. But, she, but where we came from, um, like I said, the seasons we had before and what we've been doing and then knowing how close we were, we battled so much and, and, and getting there and, and just to have that, that victory. I mean, it was just, it, you know, one of, those, one of the best parties we ever had was after that game for sure. <laughs> so it was yeah, with everybody, it was teammates, fans, um, just what a heck of a time because it's something we needed that monkey off our back. For sure. So I want to go back to another game, Ryan, in the 2001 season. You actually caught a touchdown in the win, the uh, the thrilling win over Alabama, the first time South Carolina had ever beaten Alabama in school history in 2001. Talk about, you know, that game. Obviously, again, you got a touchdown in that game, but just talk about that game. I mean, that was a crazy, crazy, well, crazy the, game. Yeah, for, just talk yeah. about that one. What, yeah, unbelievable game. And actually, Rodney Trafford caught the game-winning touchdown pass um, in that one. Um, tight end first only – only catch in the in his Gamecock history and, and had a touchdown and went on to the NFL for years actually as a tight end bouncing around journeyman um, and he was kind of t- uh, passing that one uh, but just like it's one of those it's kind of uh, fans kind of now the Garcia Alabama game win um, just it, as a fan feeling the excitement in there uh, and just feeling how the how, how loud the stadium Williams Bryce can get and how exciting and and the energy going in there, but it's still a different feeling when you're on that field and knowing that you're beating a team that's, you know, so good. And, you know, they're, they're supposed to be whipping up on the you know, poor little Gamecocks. And here we are just taking it to them again, pounding the ball on them. Our O-line just dominating a team that shouldn't be getting dominated, supposedly according to the stats and what's going on. But we had it in us that, that game. We had it in everybody there fighting together, playing as a team. Um, just, just unbelievable. And I, and I just, the one thing I do miss more than anything is being on that field and just feeling it's just the just the pure energy and the pure electricity that can go through you and it makes you amp up just one more notch, just one more you know gear 
that can make you like literally run through a wall, no matter what it is. You feel like you can do it. Um, and it's just, God, I hate that. I hate that. I can't have that feeling anymore at that level. Uh, I just, I'd like to go, you know, crazy thing about it, I like to go down and kick off one more time. Except now I'd probably get kicked out of the game because of all the <laughs> daggone soft rules that came up with. But, you know, that was my favorite, favorite time. I always, even as a return man, I wanted to kick off first. I wanted to go down there and just lay the living crap out of somebody to start the game, and then I was ready to go the rest of the game. Missed that. Ryan, do you feel like that your underdog story sort of fits in well with kind of Gamecock football as a whole? Because, I mean, I could argue that South Carolina football, like you're mentioning, especially when you played there, was kind of the underdog story, if you will. It's the team that, you know, some people will say is not supposed to win or not supposed to be in this position. And, you know, I, I tell people, you know, as a Gamecock fan and watching Gamecock athletics, South Carolina, they have to fight, scratch, and claw for everything they get. I mean, they're Gamecocks, right? Do, do you feel like you – because I feel like you very much so meshed – that your personality almost personifies what South Carolina football and being a Gamecock is really all about. Yeah, I've, I've never never looked at it that way because that's not – you know, it's – maybe, yeah, the way I played the game, the way the, – way I believe the game should be played is, is Carolina football. It is the way, you know, we're not, you know, we're getting to a point that now we're, we're getting up to the Joes with our facilities and everything we have, but it's, you know, yeah, we got to fight our ass off to get, get somewhere. We got to, you know, we got to go there and show these guys are all five stars and four stars. And, you know, I don't even know if I had a star when I was coming out of there, I might've been a half star. I don't really care. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. That's what, you know, the guys we, the, the the Coast Simpsons, the the guys that, you know, DJ Swearing, the guy that play the game just for the love of the game and like to, you know, lay the wood on people and um, and just and fight and, and just for every inch. You know, that that's what Gamecock football is about. And I think we're getting back to that. I think Coach Muschamp's got us to a point that these – we're getting some guys that are just gritty. You know, we want, we want leaders. We want guys that have the heart, you know, of a lion out there and ready to take anything on no matter how big it is. You know, just, just run them through. Just realize that you're, you're, you know, you're both men out there. That was, God, I missed that so much. Just to line up this, you know, you have a Fred Smoot or you'd have a, you know, a number one draft pick or somebody in front of you and just look at me and say, I'm about to kick your ass. Well, I don't, you know, just because they, they, they're going to look at you and say, you're South Carolina. You know, or you're, you're, you know, you're Ryan Brew. Who are you? Well, I'm about to show you who I am. Is there one scenario you can point out, like you just mentioned, where, you looked a guy in the, or you saw maybe a linebacker looked a guy in the eyes, and you got the ball, and that exact scenario happened while you're at South Carolina. Because I have to imagine you would remember that. <laughs> uh, I've had I've had plenty of moments where I wasn't a big talker on the field, but I, I was more of a uh, just you know show you type deal. Like so, we we get great at every play, and so we you know, there's a lot of times I said Mississippi State, I said Fred Smoot because I was the one I remembered. Hold game. He's just John. I mean, just everybody out there. I finally got to go from slot to go out wide to, to uh, the X receiver, and he didn't say anything to me. And I, I was like, blind up. So what's wrong? You don't want to talk to me? Because I, I ain't talking to you. You're going to take my legs off. So that's probably smart. So it was just, you know, it's just one of those moments that you're like, all right. So everybody, they start realizing, you know, I'm, I'm out for blood when it comes to this. It's a, it's a, it's a battle for me out there. So. No matter what it is, uh, I'm trying to beat you at every every moment on that field. Where would you say that came from? Just the way you were raised, or just how you played? I mean, where did that come from for you? I don't know. It was always just instilled in me that I I don't like to lose. I don't like to lose at anything. 
Um, maybe how I was raised, you know, mostly my older brother pushed me. I had a five-year-older brother that we'd fight, and, you know, play ball, and I mean, almost every day. You know, we we just he'd go after me and try, and I just I didn't want to lose to him. Didn't want to lose to anybody. So it's it's something I think just always been. You know, you can you can you can see it in guys out there. There, you know, competitive nature in there, and you know who's who really wants to win and who wants to you know make sure that not just win, just dominate. And I, don't, I don't like to even you know, I hate it when I got two two a ten and twelve year old girl, but I, girls and I don't want them to beat me in anything. You know, eventually they're going they might be able to, but right now I'm not going to let them. So they're going to have to work for it. They got to earn it. That's awesome. So, Ryan, you mentioned earlier kind of just the passion, the electricity, the excitement behind, you know, South Carolina football, and you mentioned the Alabama game. I know another game from 2001 that really had that passion and energy was the Florida game. I know the game didn't turn out the way you guys wanted, but I know the video of the the 2001 entrance. I mean, I, I have to imagine, I'm just from me looking at that video, that seemed like to me arguably one of the loudest moments at Williams-Rice during your South Carolina career. Is there one that you would say – that tops that or what would you cite as the loudest you ever heard Williams Bryce as a oh player? man as a player yeah it's a, it's a Florida Alabama game was, was out there um and top wise you know the craziest the place we ever played that was allowed was Little Rock Arkansas that's what Phil we said played as well, Phil. yeah oh, I mean yeah it was Phil did Phil play in that game let's see yeah I don't say I can remember Kevin Sides was in one of the, this was the year the year we had like sixteen quarterbacks or something stupid starting. And I think it was Kevin Sides looks doing an audible and we're in the eye formation. I'm running back. Andrew Pennick's the fullback. He looks back and yells something, and Pennick looks back at me and tries to and asking me, "Hey, what would he say?" I, was like, I don't know. You're closer than I am. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we couldn't hear. You couldn't hear yourself think at that place. It was. I mean, they're right on top of you. Uh, unbelievable. But it's. But it's still. It's, it's such a different. It's feeling I and I, I as much as I love Williams Bryce, they did, but it's something that, again, I guess how my mentality is the me against the world type mentality. When I was away, the louder the stadium got, the more you know, the more energy I had, uh, just wanting to sh- just shut them up. Um, so that was one of those again, you know, just bring the noise. And I, my, my goal right now is to make you all quiet. So, but I, man, it's uh. He got me sweating over here now. I'm 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 ready to I'm ready to tote the rock. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So let's talk about, you know, Ryan again. You mentioned earlier you guys beat Ohio State two years in a row. This time I think what's really interesting, it was a ranked matchup. You guys are ranked fourteenth in the country, Ohio State twenty third in the country, and I think you know that Ohio State, I mean if they were, they were foolish, was not gonna be taking you guys lightly because you'd just whoop their tail the year before. Um I know your teammate again, Phil Petty, who we had on the show, great guy. He actually got the MVP honors in that one. Uh, you had a pretty solid game, two catches for 17 yards receiving and then rushing five rushes for 61 yards. But, I mean, leading into that game, you know, you, you talked about how you never thought you would see Ohio State across the field from you when you came to South Carolina. I mean, how crazy was it you were going to see them again for a second straight year? Yeah, that's when you realize that bowl matchups are you – know, it was kind of uh, trying to keep the SEC and Big Ten together on a lot of those uh, bowl games. But um, for a team that – doesn't go to a lot of bowl games. We didn't, you know, first off, didn't think we'd see Ohio State once. Then we could see them back to back. And, um, you know, we thought this yeah, and how the Ohio State players, you know, I saw some of them at the bars out there and stuff. And they're talking about how this is the revenge game and all that rematch, all that crap to us, spitting all that. And it's like, you know what? That's fine. We got to strap it on again. And, um, but they, they came out a little bit, at least the fourth quarter, they, they started making a little interesting game. But uh, again, if you watch film on there, our D line linebackers just 
dominated and the DBs are so good that we had with, with Sheldon and Dre and Willie and uh, just cover them all up it's, and face that face on and, and Jonathan Martin. I mean, just, we, had, we had some unbelievable uh, defensive players uh, through our, through my years at Carolina. And then, you know, offensively Phil had a, had a really good game and ended up being the MVP there. And it was just a, it was a battle, battle in the trenches, uh, won again by, by our guys. Yeah, I was going to say the defense holding Ohio State, 35 rushes for 64 yards. That's, that's pretty good numbers. But, yeah, that game, you guys are up 28-7 to going into the fourth quarter. Ohio State rattles off 21 <laughs> straight points. Then Daniel Weaver uh, hits the game-winning field goal. I feel like a lot of people forget about that, that Daniel Weaver hit that game-winning field goal. But, anyways, you guys get the 31-28 win. I mean, again, it, it's you know your junior year going into your senior year. Just talk about, again, just how satisfying it was to beat those guys twice in a row now. Yes, I was super satisfying with all the work that we did um, coming in there. Uh, just the East, there's not enough said for what the guys like right now, what the, what these players are doing, the work they put in the off season. Um, you watch them, which is so you know what they do now with the videos, Justin King and all, showing showing what these guys can do um, and what they do every day, and the, the blood, sweat, and tears they're putting out there. And it's just how satisfying it is to put it all together and to be you know, you know bowl games are. They're there for you know, your season. It's a it's a gift. It's a it's an honor to go play in these games, and um, and I I really we appreciate those, and we pushed it, and everybody there, no matter um, no matter what they you know had and what they looking like uh, draft wise, they were they were out there to give it their all to get that next W for for the Gamecocks and for the brothers out there. So um, it, it was a big deal for us. Um, and it was a big deal to, to push ahead and then be able to get that get that win, uh, let those seniors, you know, lead the field uh, in triumph. And that's it's, it's a huge deal. Like so those are your brothers. I mean, to lead the last game and have a W against a team like Ohio State again, is, it was really a satisfying. For sure. So 2002, your senior season, Ryan, you finished the year 20 carries for 31 yards, three touchdowns, also had a touchdown receiving as well. And like I mentioned, you had almost 1,700 yards from scrimmage, 10 touchdowns throughout your career. Um, the 2002 season, I know, did not go the way that you guys had hoped or planned. But just talk about, you know, walking off the field, you know, walking off Williams Rice Stadium as a Gamecock for the last time. Just, just talk about, kind of summarize your senior season and what it was like for you. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was bittersweet for sure. Um, it wasn't what we planned on. You know, that that last Outback Bowl um, game, I got uh, I got barrel rolled and they tore my ankle up pretty good. Uh, ended up having to have surgery, so I missed a lot of the off-season spring ball and stuff like that with the surgery on my ankle. And it just kind of – it never shoot it. I mean, today is numb right now as I'm talking to you. I can't can't feel my ankle. Um, just one of those injuries that I'll, I'll have forever. Um, but it just it, – it, it stuck with me. We pushed through. We gritted through. We had some um, some good games, tournament games, things that things that happened that you, you, know, you sit there – I never – I'm not a big ifs and – Shows, widows, whatever. Uh, but the one game, Georgia game, you know, we're on the goal line. It, it, what happens if we, we score a touchdown there? You know, as Georgia always says, that snowball game. You know, we get that, we get that going, momentum going, and then watch out for it. You know, watch out for the game clubs. But it, it was just uh, one of those that, you know, we we uh, we did it in ourselves a couple of games. Virginia game, I, I had a uh, got crushed on kickoff, and they were, I don't know if they scored. I got knocked out, so I don't know if they scored or – uh, not, but I turned the ball over. I was in the next next series, but um, it was just it was a bad it was a it was a season that 
we had uh, ups and downs and you know didn't want to go out that way but still we fought our, we fought our tails off no doubt so uh, you're a guy obviously Ryan you love the game of football it's evident talking to you just how tough was it obviously life after college football but hanging up the cleats I mean how tough was that for you uh, personally it's still tough it's still tough uh, talking to you like I said I'm sweating right now because I could I would love to put them on and 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 go one more round um you know that's the one of the, one of the coolest moments I've ever had is is winter workouts um we're, we're going we have mat drills you know we're up at five o'clock in the morning uh coach strong's trying to make us throw up on the mats coach coach moore's trying to make us throw up while we're doing sprints all the other coaches they're all you know trying to they're all trying to win they all want to be the the guy that makes everyone pass out and it's the it's it's the challenge most challenging thing you can go through as a football player and and we're doing sprints at the end of the um, at the end of winter workouts, and Coach Moore and Strong and Holtz are all out there, and, and you know everyone's hands on the knees and hands they were keep going hitting them side to side, and you know and all of a sudden you uh, hear Phil Petty say, "Hey, I ain't hear no bell," and I step up and say, "One more round, one more round." It, it would be so much you know, to hear that one more time. Do it one more time would be uh, be amazing, but you gotta you gotta grow uh, grow up sometime, I guess, right? No, I, I think that's uh, – no, I'm <laughs> just kidding. But you've obviously went on, you know, Ryan, to do great things. You're obviously someone still very, very involved with Gamecocks football. I do want to talk about, though, some of the other things you've done as far as you have a fencing business. Uh, would love, just love for you to – I know people are very in touch with you and what you're doing because you make daily radio appearances and you're someone that is around South Carolina, like I mentioned. But just kind of talk about what, you know, what you did do after football because, like I said, you've been doing big things in the community and – Right, right. Throughout Gamecock. So, yeah, well. I actually, yeah, actually, right. So, actually, I went to Baltimore's camp, Ravens camp for a little while. Um, when I got released there, I ended up going overseas and played in Europe. Um, played for the uh, Rhine Fire in Dusseldorf. Then I went and played the Berlin Thunder and won a World Bowl, World Bowl there for NFL Europe. Um, and then that's, that was about it for football because our agent wanted me to go to Canada and go play some more. But like I said, my ankle was just torn up. I could barely hear every morning I'd get up and, you know, crawl out of bed just to get to the contrast best so I could jog and then I could be able to run later. So it just got a little too, uh, too much for me to, physically to be able to do it. So, um, but so I went from there to, you know, move, I came back or I never really left Columbia, uh, you know, married here, married a volleyball player, um, living now and I have a fence company, Ryan River Fence here, that I've been running since about 2005. So, golly, that's a long time. <laughs> been running since 2000, 2005, and we are now actually we just moved to West Columbia, right across the farmers market. We, we do all from residential to commercial fencing and railing, and um, just uh, purchased a fabricating business for all custom gates and rails and all that as well. As well, so we can anything. Um, you know, fence needs, railing needs. Now we can we can handle. Um, it's been it's been a wild ride. It's uh, now we're selling. We got I think 40 employees or so. Um, all all good men and women that are willing to work their tail off in this 4,000 degree heat in the, the summertime. So uh, it's been it's been fun. It's been challenging, but at the same time, that's what I that's what I like. I like a challenge every day. Absolutely. So, Ryan, let's move to current state of Gamecock football. Let's move into current day South Carolina Gamecocks. Well, I want to start with you kind of on a different note, though, because you're a guy that has played the running back position. I know you were all over the field again, but you know, you know what 
what it takes to play the running back position. And, and I feel like that's been a position that's been a shortcoming for South Carolina, at least since, I guess I could argue, since Mike Davis was drafted in 2014. Right. Without naming any specific names, obviously, what do you think right now is missing from the Gamecocks' backfield as far as a running back? Because Jake Bentley catches a lot of the flack, a lot of the blame for the lack of production on offense. Or I think his numbers are a little skewed because of a lack of any – consistent running game and a true number one running back. I mean, when you take a look at the backfield, what do you think is missing there? You just said it there, consistent, consistency. You need a guy that's uh, not, you know, it's just holding on to the football, getting the three, four, or five hard yards, but also a guy that can break free. Um, you, don't, you don't have to have a Lattimore. You know, Mike Davis, you know, he's kicking, you know, he's doing great right now in the NFL, but he wasn't the – a guy you say, oh, man, you know, anytime he's going to break it, he's going to do this. He was just consistent. He runs hard, runs behind his pads, finds the, you know, finds the open holes. And you got a guy like Wolf right now, a coach that's you know, getting these O-line right. You've got to have a running back that can find the holes, uh, just reading them and then holding on the ball. we got some guys that, that can. That, that can run it. It's just they got to be in every down situation. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of the platooning guys, and I think that's how football is going now. And, especially with the wear and tear. But, um, you know, I was a guy that the more touches you had, the better better you're going to be in a game. Uh, I know I'm wearing down a defense the more, I, you know, the more I'm hitting them, hitting them. So, but that's – games change. So, these guys have to be a heck of a lot faster off the blocks. And because they'll pull the string on them quick now. Running backs are kind of like Spurrier's quarterbacks. They'll pull them – you know, pull them out if they, you know, if they have a one bad run or whatever because there's four or five weight. Now, we don't have that, that superstar – there we don't have the you know Lattimore that yet, but recruiting wise and what what they're doing, uh, it's going to get there. Um, and I, you know, I say that we don't have it. There might be guys, someone there that just hasn't had had enough touches, hasn't had that feel yet. It's a um, there's a couple of running backs on that squad that I like to see you know get a little more touches there and um, and be able to get a feel for the game and get moving you know and just uh, and see what they can do later on down the, once once they start wearing people out. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Ryan, talk about, again, I think it's interesting with you. You know, you came in at a time to South Carolina where, you know, Lou Holtz, I believe, really did change the culture. I think we can look back and say there's no Steve Spurrier without Lou Holtz, for example. I think Lou Holtz really yep. changed the culture of Carolina football. And then we all saw Steve Spurrier, what he did at South Carolina, even more so changed the culture and with that great winning uh, – the great winning seasons, the 2010 SEC East title, the 2011 to 2013 11-win seasons – and then now with Will Muschamp, talk about your um, – I guess I'm sure you've had conversations and uh, sat down with Will Muschamp. Just talk about kind of how you see the Gamecock football program under his leadership. Right. I mean, that's the thing. That culture change is, is huge. Um, and the biggest thing that I think Coach Holtz did, you know, besides getting Spurrier to come here, was getting guys that are winners. Um, you know, he was – you know, he, like you said earlier in this thing is – Coach was hard to deal with because he'll call you a loser in a heartbeat. You got to prove him wrong. You know, he's you know, you either you're a loser, or you want to hang out with a bunch of losers. You know, he'll he'll tell you that and right to your face. Uh, but that's the thing is, he started getting guys that are winners. Uh, Spurrier came in and, and he got winners. He got the the Shaws and Lattimore's, the, the just guys that can just came from championship caliber high school teams. Um, and that's that's a big deal. If you come in, no matter what you are, and you're not used to losing. You don't want to lose. You don't want to be that. You, you're known as a winner, and you're going to stay that way. You know, there's, and so that's why I think Muschamp. I'll tell you what, Muschamp's a guy, um, players coach. He's a guy I'd love to play for just because the fire they have. And I, 
you go to those practices. I can't bring my kids because you got to have earmuffs going. But um, <laughs> man, it's uh, it's it's you talk about getting fired up and, and wanting to run through somebody. Just watching the the energy and and what he instills in the players. Every assistant coach has that same energy, and they're just flowing through these guys and and how they 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 take it on every day from recruiting to the to workouts to practice field. And it's all going to translate on that game field, you know, and it's, and it's going to happen because, again, winners are coming into this program. Winners are guys that are going to change this culture again and just make this a, you know, a South Carolina household name. This is a, it's a football team that's meant to be dealt with. Ryan, talk about the 2019 schedule. It's something everybody wants to talk about. I'll tell you the way I look at it, Ryan. I look at it more as an opportunity in the sense that South yeah. Carolina is going to play so many. You know, South Carolina hasn't been all that great against ranked opponents since Will Muschamp's taken over. We all know that. But they're going to have so many opportunities this year against ranked opponents, against quality opponents to really go out on a national stage, if you will. We already know the Alabama game, the CBS game. You already know the Georgia and Clemson game will be national games. Probably all the other SEC games will as well. They're going to have the opportunity to kind of shock the world, quote-unquote, if you will. How do you view the 2019 schedule? Because I feel like you probably view it in a similar light. <laughs> I love it. Now, people I talk to about it, you know, they say, hey, what do you think? I say, oh, it's, it's brutal. That's normally because I just don't want to talk to you about it for a long time. <laughs> so, but just me and you talking about this, I think it's awesome. As the, you know, quote-unquote underdog and coming in, this is your time to shine. This is your time to prove. Just, I mean, you go out there and these guys, you know, yes, they, they're all five stars to whatever you are. Go out there and kick their ass. This is the time to you know, prove to, to everyone that you can be there. And I think you said, well, I always, I think I preach through this podcast is, hey, the hard work pays off. These guys are working their ass off right now. Now show it on the football field. I don't care if it's Bama, Clemson, Georgia, Florida, whoever the hell it is. It doesn't matter. You know, these I'm not, you know, yes, these are very talented football teams. But you see when we're we're clicking, even last year when we're clicking, we hang in with all of them, if not beating some of them. So it's a time to shine and, and, and surprise some people. But once you surprise one of them early, you're not going to be surprised anymore. So um, I really think we bring a game to these guys and, and show how hard we've been working. It's going to be a it's going to be an interesting season to watch. Ryan, have you ever been approached about being a running backs coach or some sort of coach before? Because I will tell you, you've got the <laughs> fire and passion, tenacity to, I feel like, make a really good one. Uh, uh, you know what? I would – yeah, I have, but not not in a while with, with my business going, what we're doing and everything. But I'd love to get – there's no doubt I love the game. I'd love to, uh, you know, instill the fire in some people if I could or some, you know um, – if I get chances to do camps, I jump on those and try to push up kids as much as I can. It's kind of, um, but it's it's guys, it's such a great sport and it's a it's a game that you just passion and fire you can have. And if you can if you can teach it and and see what a kid can do on that field because of something you taught them, it, it's fulfilling. There's no doubt about it. So um, I don't know if I can do the hours these coaches do though. <laughs> the amount of like, the, the amount of stress I put on myself to. Yeah, and like they do too, is just trying to be great at everything you do at every moment. Something I want to go back to, Ryan, that you touched on earlier about the uh, the, the the rules. Something I want to go back to the rules of football, the game of football, how it's uh, things are kind of soft now. And I, you know, I tend to agree that the game has changed as far as the concussion stuff and the way that they're throwing penalties. I mean, we see the NFL week after week; guys are getting penalties for just pretty much sacking the quarterback, pretty normal stuff, but getting penalties, you know, roughing the passer. Right. Uh, what I, I mean, are, are, do you 
do you have any fear for the future of the game of football? I do. Um, I do have. I do have fear. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I understand. I mean, I have had plenty of concussions, and um, I actually take medicine because because I'll forget crap in a heartbeat. Um, my short term memory is horrible. But that's just how I played. And I wouldn't change it for anything. I mean, that's how I played. Uh, that's how it is, you know. There, but I do have. I have, I have the fear just not because the rule changed so much as parents now or don't want the kids to play football. They don't want them to get hurt. Um, so you know, I think, and as a soccer fan itself, I think that might be a good thing for soccer coming up in the future, for especially U.S. teams going there. But uh, football-wise, I think it might it definitely is something to uh, look out for. Um, who's going to play the game? And that's just. But I, I do miss the I miss the collisions. I miss the I miss seeing them on TV, and I miss it myself. You know, one of the uh, things I was known for was the whole with punt returner putting my heels on the ten and. If the ball was over my head, acting like I was going to catch it, but once I saw that gunner coming down, he lifted his head up. I was I was on a dead sprint trying to put my face mask through his chest, and that was uh, tell you what you do that a couple times and then it's on film. The next gunner's coming down. They they know better than to put their head up. They they told me about it too. I'm not getting hit by you, so it's, uh, you can strike fear in somebody in a heartbeat. No doubt. Ryan, I feel like I know this answer before I even ask you the question, but if you look <laughs> back on your South Carolina career, your favorite memory, your favorite specific memory from wearing the garnet and black? Oh, honestly, it was, uh, it was you know, game-wise, you, you know, everybody say Outback Bowl, Outback Bowl. You know what? It was just being with my brothers. It was being, you know, those the two-a-days, the, the winter workouts. It was the times, the, the work we put in um out there that's just you, that no one else can really do it, it's a different breed of at when you're an athlete you you know it's you're something special and that's uh you know it's you know i've had i've had many of uh game experiences things that have happened you know i went to the kentucky away game um in lexington i think we had over 500 600 fans from my hometown came to the game um and just you had a had a decent game there and it was just it was, see all of them after the game that was a great experience you know going through 2001 um is an unbelievable experience but i always after i did it once through the smoke i always stayed in the back after that because i don't want to be the the jerk that tripped and fell so i always had that i don't know, I always had that fear i was gonna be that guy um but the, you know there's just the just the whole atmosphere in itself you know i was i was told uh at a young age to soak it all in to make sure you know you try to uh realize the moments you're in and there's times i would i'd literally stand on the field and just kind of do a 360 you know slow-mo and just look at all the fans in the stadium and say man this is this is cool this isn't going to happen too much longer and it didn't you know it flies by but it's uh man it was it was such a outstanding experience and and just moment in my in my life to be to be a gamecock so, Ryan, kind of off the wall here, I know that Eric does a great one. And Phil, it's funny, Phil on our show uh, a couple weeks ago refused to do this. But can you really? do it? He did not do his Holtz impression. He, he, he refused. I don't know if he thought Coach Holtz would oh, hear this what podcast. A baby. But he completely he, – he was – he said he wasn't going to go there, which uh, I was fine, uh, whatever. Oh, I have to get it man. back on the you, show. All right, so you have – you have Kimry can do one, Courtney Levitt does one, and Phil Petty does one. The guys that I played with, and they are all very good, but they're all different. <laughs> Kimry does a slower hold. Kimry's Holtz. is very good. Kimry's is very, very good. Yeah, well, Kimry does a slower holds where 
Levitt does the more angry holts, and then Phil is right in the middle and can do them both. So for him not to do it, because I and you know Levitt and Kimmer may get mad at me, but Phil's actually better than both of them at, as an impression. And the fact that you didn't get him to do it is is, is sad on his part. And I'm going to give him hell for it. <laughs> but I do not I do not do a Lou impression. But when I was in when I was in uh, college, Coach Holtz called one of our kickers dorm room or no, that, well, apartment complexes and one of their roommates answered the phone and and like and he said hey can I talk to whoever and uh it, it says whatever and hangs up well he calls back again say hey I need to talk to whoever and he goes say Brewer Brewer quit calling me <laughs> so coach Holtz thought I did impressions of him so I think <laughs> I got on the phone I was the one or doing impressions of him so but I do not do a coach impression because I, awesome. I'm just not good at it. I, I, I will tell you, Andy Boyd also is another guy we had on our show. He does a very, very good one. Very, you, it's, oh, it's very funny. Then you are, you are, you are, you, you are. His is funny. Andy's is funny, but you are. You have missed Phil's then if you think Andy's is good. <laughs> I'll be sure to get Phil back on and uh, get him to do that. 100. percent Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. On that note, Ryan, before I let you go. I know, again, playing for Lou Holtz, all the impressions, everything. He was a great football coach at the end of the day, though. But your, I guess your favorite, your most funny Lou Holtz story, specifically involving you, that uh, you can tell in the airwaves. Oh, man. Um, I don't know which ones you've all heard. So, I'm sure – I don't know. One of my moments, I don't know if they told you. They tell you about the Tennessee one yet? I, I haven't heard any of them ex- Phil, involving specifically you. I haven't heard okay. any of you in them. Oh uh, yeah, but this uh, not well. This is one of my, one of my best, the funniest moments that just of seeing Coach Holtz was the Tennessee week, and he came into the meeting room, and he was wearing you got a picture like the old kids, like huffy plastic helmet, right? Yeah, you know, like, and he was a with a Tennessee on it. Yeah. Like I'm talking yeah. like a you know like a ten year old helmet, right? He's right. wearing this coming in, and he just comes storming in, and just saying, "Are you afraid of this? Are you afraid of this?" And just and I mean. The problem, like, um, there's, you know, there's a lot of Outback Bull stories of uh, coming into my MVP year that uh, he, he got me a couple times. Not funny ones, but some bad ones where he, I think I, I, I really mentioned it quickly that he, he got on, uh, he got on my mom's answer machine and jumped me a little bit, uh, not a little, a lot of bit on, on my mom's answer machine, and yelling and cussing me out and stuff. And this is on Christmas Eve, so but. So when I fly in there, I'm a little, what the heck, you know, one of these deals, I got to deal with this. And I'll tell you, every practice, he was on my ass so much. We ran a fake field goal. I ended up running in the game. I got sacked. We ran a fake field goal where I was the wing, and I had to I had to pivot and reverse out. And the holder would flip me the ball. Then I'd have an out route, a corner route, or the or the kicker would, was running a, a wheel route on the backside. Well, first time I do it, everyone's covered, so I run the ball. And he's jumping my face. He said, I've seen you. I know you can run the ball. I want to see if you can throw it. So next time when I get the ball, everyone's covered again, but I was trying to zip it in there. And, I mean, he got in my ear. He's grabbed my face mask and said, no wonder Ohio State didn't want your damn ass. And, and I mean, just jumping me. And Langston, Langston Moore's next to me. He sees, I'm like, I guess I balled my fist up. He grabs me and goes, don't do it, bro. Don't do it. <laughs> it was open practice. Fans are out there. I'm like, oh, man, I'm about to light the old man up. But, again, master motivator, right? 
master motivator. He got me fired up enough. Uh, I think he was, you know, it was one of those, hey, get mad at me. You go play football when, it, when the time comes. So, uh, but he, he knew what he was doing, that's for sure. <laughs> for sure. That's awesome. Well, Ryan, really do appreciate, appreciate you taking the time, man. I, I know I can speak for all Gamecock fans when, uh, when I say really appreciate the way you represented South Carolina are still doing so now. Really appreciate you and definitely one of the Gamecock greats. I appreciate you taking the time, man. And uh, let's do it again sometime soon for sure. Yeah, awesome. I, I definitely will. Uh, and, you know, I appreciate you having me on. And Spurs up, baby. Spurs up. So for Ryan Brewer, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.